in the middle of this established uh, series, and I'm just going to go ahead and point blank be honest with you. The message today uh, is, is a different. It's not exactly the one that I had planned in this series. Um, the Lord just opened up uh, my heart this week. I don't get into the details. I kind of got into the details in the first service and uh, basically ran out of time, uh, but I don't want to do that. I just, uh, this week when I showed up uh, to just really start putting my mind to the message for this week, I just felt like there was something uh, missing, or I just felt like, you know, maybe I had it wrong. I just felt like something. And just, and so this week I've just been, uh, and it's usually not ever like that. It, and it, it, I just felt like there was something the Lord wanted to say that was, that was unique. And, um, and then it, it all made sense now. Like it all makes sense to me, not to you. So that's why I'm not going to tell you about it. But, um, I woke up though this morning with just 100% supreme clarity about, about the thing that the Lord wanted to share with us today. And so I'm going to share that thing. Um, and, and, and this whole series, I don't want everybody to forget, this entire series that we're doing is called Established, and it's, it's just about the reality, having a moment like David had uh, when you get to the end of a season of your life or you get to the end of your life ultimately standing before Jesus and you look back over the life that you lived and you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that it was God who established your life. That you lived out whatever God's idea of your life is, that you lived that out. Uh, and, and that you, you operated in, uh, in your marriage, uh, in raising kids, and your job, and career, and your purpose, and life, and every facet that God established it. And that's really, that's really the heart and the desire behind this series is that, that we begin to walk as people fully established uh, by God. But uh, the reality of it is, is we go through David's life, and that's who we're focused on. The vast majority of the scriptures are coming out of First uh, and Second Samuel, and, and maybe some uh, some kings, first and second kings later on maybe. Uh, but the, the reality of it is, is that, that as you look through David's life, you see this, this one singular pattern that David seemed to, in every turn, operate in a way that seems so uh, opposing to what human nature is to what would be our normal, to what would be even logical at times. Uh, and and, and there's, there's, there's things like running out, the famous one, running out onto the battlefield to kill Goliath. That's illogical, right? That's not, that's, you know, you, the battle is the Lord's and all this stuff, you know, great, fantastic, but he's still, you know, three times your size and he's going to crush you. So there's just like, there's a lot of this, but the things that really are so that we miss, I think, a lot of times is like this one small reality to me that's so huge to me that's become such a dominant thought for me is that this little shepherd boy, the youngest of his family, rejected by his father, rejected by his brothers, nobody believes in him. Nobody, nobody, no, he, they put him out in the field. They forgot him. They didn't invite him to the, a party. Like all this stuff, he comes and, and the, the prophet of the nation, now I know it's hard for us to imagine this, but imagine this, something close of equality would be like if Billy Graham was still alive and, and Reverend Graham showed up at your house, knocked on your door, asked for your baby boy and said he's going to be king or be president in the next few years and then just left. It would be like that. And, 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 and this David, this shepherd boy, comes out, Samuel, uh, Samuel Graham tells David that he's going to be king and, and this is what he does. Now, this isn't what you would do, and it's definitely not what, what I would do. Uh, I, I hope that maybe now I'm in a place with the Lord that maybe I would do this different. But I know that, I know that even I still question it. But what he did, what he did was, was he went right back out to the field and, and, and 
hung out with the sheep. And you got to think, his brothers didn't really know. There's a lot of evidence to point that the only people that really knew what was going on was David and maybe his father and Samuel, and that, and that was it. But he, he didn't, I mean, I'm Eliab hated him, was mean to him, made fun of him all the time, criticized him. At some point, human nature throws that back in your face. Hey, you know, remember that night everybody got freaked out, nobody knew what was going on? Oh, I'm going to be king. And then some other choice words would flow after that. But he didn't do any of that. He never once. And, and if you go through the course of it, he never, all the promotions that he had, none of them were his idea. Every, he, he, he didn't uh, send out his resume, for example. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't start creating political relationships uh, for some of these things. He, did, he didn't see an opening and, and go for it. He, he just stayed out with the sheep. And when he had opportunities to kill Saul, he didn't with to speed up the process. Now, I know this is a story. One of the reasons why I first truly believed that the Bible was real, honestly, you're going to think I'm so dumb, was because of a story in here where it says that David, uh, Saul was trying to kill David. And that if you're making this story up, if you're an author and you're writing this and this is fake and it's not real, you don't write this scene out in a book, in a novel. King Saul, uh, at night after trying to find with his little army and kill David, went to use the bathroom, specifically number two in a cave, and that precisely was the hole somewhere around there in the ground, watch you, where David decided to hide. You don't write that story if that didn't really happen. <laughs> that's not what great novels are made of, right? That's, that's history. That's them recording history. David just happened to pick the horrible spot to hide, and Saul drops his pants, starts going number two, and this is the Bible. And David's holding his sword, and he's like, do I kill him? I don't, I don't know what to, ah. <laughs> but he swings his sword, it's over. He's king, there's no threat, it's over, but he doesn't do that. He stays with him. And if you go through the whole course of his life, all the way up even past the throne, this was the way that he operated. He operated in a way that was so unnatural, so unnormal, so illogical, so not, just, just in this way. And, and the Lord really laid this word on my heart because this word has been a word I've studied for three years and, and just intensely because it's, it's become a lot to me and, and mainly because this is the opposite of who I am by nature, completely the opposite. And it's the word meek or meekness. And, and meekness is not what a lot of people think it is. It's just not. It literally means like a gentle strength. Uh, but the idea of meekness, and I just want to point blank say this because I, I, I want to say this and then move on uh, to what it looks like in, in our lives. Meekness is this, this fundamental belief that God is God, that God is in control, and that this whole universe was God's idea from the largest thing all the way down to the smallest thing. And, and to be meek and to have this gentle strength and to be meek or to be, sometimes it's translated as, as humble or humility, but it's, it's meek. It's a very distinct word. It's just to believe 100% that you are not in control, but that God is in control and that you are alive because God gave you life and that God is the highest being in power. He is the greatest being in goodness and that he is the most valuable, that he's worthy above all things and that you, you believe that. You truly believe that. And so because you believe that he's God and that he's all powerful and that he's all good and that he's in control, you believe that your life is ultimately his idea and that your heart and in your mind, 
You just want to live out the life that God wants for you because God is God. Does that make sense? Now, if you're not careful, you'll think I'm just talking about God in general. And because you'll be saying, oh, well, I kind of believe that, and I believe all those things, and I believe that, la, 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 la. All right? Saying you believe it and having some realm of knowledge is, is super not living it out. All right? David actually believed it. He didn't believe it like you believe it. He actually believed it. He actually believed it, and he chose to live this type of lifestyle. He, this is a form of what, what Proverbs uh, and Solomon calls wisdom. He says this is the way of life, that wisdom is ultimately what, what is, or just simply what is, or the way of life, or, or, or what is true. And, and this is a way of life, to live like this. Now, I, I want you to be very clear. Going to church, saying you're a Christian, having bumping stickers and T-shirts, and growing up and, 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 and giving money here and there and doing this stuff, and, and being, being an American Christian does not mean that this is the lifestyle that you've chose. This just means that you've, you've, you, you have on some head knowledge level, maybe a belief, or you say it, or you walk in it. But David actually believed it, and he believed ultimately in this way of life, in this wisdom. And, and if you go to it, you start reading the first couple chapters of Proverbs, that's what you will see. You'll see this lifestyle written out in the form of a proverb. And, and Solomon got the vast majority of this from David. Because if you go and you look in the Psalms, uh, almost word for word, the most famous and in, in the foundational scripture of Proverbs is Proverbs chapter 3. Uh, and, and, and Proverbs 27 reiterates in a different word. And it's almost word for word things that David had written. So th this David lays out this type of wisdom, this type of lifestyle. And then the Holy Spirit picks this up uh, and begins to lay this out in the New Testament church through various authors and various uh, uh, different scriptures. We see this in various churches in the, back uh, in this time period. And you see it a little bit in Philippians. And you see it a little bit in, in Peter. Uh, but you see it just explicitly clear in the book of James. James chapter 3, uh, where he divides these two ways of life. This life is called the wise life or the meek life. And we'll, we'll get back to meek in a minute. Uh, and then this, this opposite life, this, this opposite way, this, this natural way. And, and I want you to understand that, that, that there's only two ways. Before we get into this, what we love to do as people is we like, when God gives us the right and the left, what we like to do is unbiblically and wickedly create a middle road. Because we know we're not here, but we're so deceived by our own arrogance and pride and foolishness that we think, oh, well, that's not us. So there's got to be a middle road somewhere. There's not. There's not a middle road. There's the right and the left. There's the road to uh, the, the little road, my, my narrow road. That's the preacher, first time guest. The narrow road, and then the, the, the big one. Why? What is wrong with me? <laughs> Those are the two simplest words of the whole message, and I can't. It proves you, it should be evidence that God is real, and God can even use a donkey, or as the Bible says, a jack, but I won't say that. So, this is the reality that we try to create a middle road. And I just want to lay out here really fast as we kind of go through this. Don't lay that out. You're one or the other. That's it. You're walking in, 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 in one form of wisdom, one way of life, or you're walking in the other. That's it. Uh, there, there's nobody in here. You're, you're, you're on one of two. That's, that's it. It doesn't matter. And this is not even if you're a Christian or if you're saved or you're not saved. It's not that. I believe that you can fully be saved by the grace of God uh, and still walk foolishly uh, in this alternate way of life. I, I, I think you can. I think that, that, that we, we've proven that pretty good. That, that our, our, our salvation and even our sanctification is not, it, 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 it's not, it's all reliant on the power of God and that we can, we can still make horrible decisions. And if, if, if you don't believe that, I would love to sit down with you and I'll just ask questions until you hang yourself, okay? Because that's, that's what we do. 
So there's two ways of life. There's not a middle road. There's two ways of life. And so he lays this out. And, and, and he says in James 13, uh, James 3, 13, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. All right, and some of your translations may say humility. It's not, it, humility is caught up in meekness. Meekness is caught up in humility, but they're two different words, and it's meekness that's used here. It's meekness. It's the gentle strength. It's a, it's a, it's a different type of humility. Uh, it's very specific. Humility is not wrong, but the, the word is meekness. And so it paints this, this idea, and it goes, show the works. One translation says, prove it by the way that you live. So we have a, we, we're all really good as a nation and as a culture and as a, as a group of people of, of saying all of the right things and saying we believe and, and saying we have this and saying it. And just because we have the knowledge, uh, we, we translate that uh, into the ability. And I would just point out to you that there are some fantastic, uh, for instance, basketball coaches that have all the knowledge in the world of the game, but is actually horrible at playing it. Okay? So the, 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 just because you know something just because you can recite it, just because you can say it, just because it comes out of your mouth all the time, uh, just because you've convinced yourself doesn't mean that you're actually walking in it. So he says, he says, he says prove it by this. And one of the things he says, prove it by your conduct. He says, by the meekness of wisdom. And we'll come back to that, the meekness of wisdom. But if you have, listen, the, now the opposing side to that, the other road, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. So I want to really fast, really quickly I, I want you to understand that this, don't, don't let your mind uh, narrow in this idea of envy or jealousy and selfish ambition. Because we want to we wanna really quickly take those two words and paint a very specific type of person or personality in a very specific way of life. Uh, and it's actually incredibly broad, uh, which poses a problem for most of us. Because uh, when we think about this idea of jealousy or envy... Uh, that word, the root word of that is really, it's just zealous, and it just means, it means a boiling point or a desire that's boiling. When we associate with jealousy or envy, what we do is we, we connect that. It only exists if it's in the realm of what someone else has or possesses, right? So if you're envious or you're jealous, uh, it, it's because you want something that someone else, some, what someone else has, and that person kind of becomes like a rival or something like that. You can be envious and walk in this root word here uh, that literally just means it's a desire. And it, the root word literally means a boiling point or a desire that burns in you to the point that it boils over uh, and affects the course and the direction of your life. So it, it don't, don't think like she's wearing the shirt I wanted to wear. Like don't, don't, it's not what this is. Okay, it's, it's, it's a desire that, that rises up above the others. And, and, or, or a thought process that rises up above the others that is so strong, it burns in your heart, it begins to boil, and it, and it can boil over, and it will actually be the thing that drives you a lot of times in life. Connected with this idea of selfish ambition. Now, I also want to paint out selfish ambition because if you're not careful, you will take kind of a modern understanding of this word, but it, it's, it's not. Yes, selfish ambition is ambitiousness about self or self-interest or being ambitious about you and you and what you want and what you need and what you desire. And that's definitely part of it. It's definitely true. But the word that they use is very specific, and it's very, very, very powerful, and it's very telling about our hearts and our minds. And it, it doesn't let us off the hook. And it makes sure that we know in our hearts and our minds that there's no middle road. Because what this word really means is the root word for the word mercenary in the Greek. And what it literally means by its truest definition is a work for hire. Meaning that every, so take the word mercenary, and I want to show you the truest of this meaning with this word. Take mercenary. What does a mercenary do? A mercenary goes out and fights for money. 
A mercenary shows up uh, and he says, listen, I'm, I'm going to fight. I'm going to be a part of the team. I'm going to obey the orders. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot and stab and kill and I may even die. But I'm doing all of that for money. I'm not doing it because I love you. I'm not doing it because I respect you. I'm not doing it because this is my motherland or my fatherland. I'm not doing it because I love the nation. I'm not doing it because I believe in the cause. I'm not doing it because I care about these people. I'm not doing it because I respect the general. I'm only here for money. I'm only here to get what I want. And so I want to get what I want. And so I'll fight and I'll follow and I'll die even for this thing. That's the idea of a mercenary. That is the word selfish ambition in the Greek. It means that, that you do what you do because you want something in return. So I see this a lot in friendships, and we don't realize this, but friendships, we, we don't want to be alone, or we, we feel like we need something or somebody we want to talk, we want to communicate, and so we, we are friendly, or we talk, or we communicate, or we give. It's not because we really love the person. It's not because we really care about the person, uh, but we want to say and do what we think that they want us to say and do so that they will, in return, uh, be our friend and fill that void or that boiling desire that's in our heart and in our mind. Does that resonate? Here's one that will get about 50% of the people in the room, hashtag the men. When you come home at night, you don't do the yard work and cut the grass and take out the trash and clean the floors and, and do the dishes because you love and care about her and she had a hard day, right? You do it in massive hopes <laughs> that it'll give you some leverage to get lucky. Right? Oh, no, not me. <laughs> right? If you start going through the course of life, and what, what, what really begins to make this difficult is because if you start going through every way of life, this is how we live and how we operate. It's so ingrained in us. This, this, is, this is almost human nature. I mean, this is what we do. I, 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 I take the job or I take the thing and I do this and I friendships and relationships and politics and acquaintances and, and, and jobs and careers. And you just go through marriages even and kids and relationships with kids. Well, we, we, do, we, we, we do the things we do. There's a lot of people that have kids not because they cherish and love the kids but because they have a void in their life and they just want something to be able to fill that void. Right? We have marriages. There's glorified business deals. So many marriages. That's why so many of them end. Right? They're just, they're just, I don't want to go down that road and mess somebody up. But they're just, it's, listen, you take care of me, I'll take care of you, we'll sleep together every now and then, and we'll just kind of live our life and do our thing. But it's not intimacy, there's no love, it's not because you really cherish or care about the person. Uh, this is how many of us, we live in our careers and in our jobs. Right? We, we do what we do, we play the game and get in return. We want to get the promotion, we want to get the money, we want to get the job, and we want to get, make sure we got to get the paycheck and we want to go through. And you could keep going. You could go from the extremes, the things that are clearly wrong, unethical, not great, and then you can go all the way to the other extreme to where it almost seems not wrong, like there's nothing wrong with it, like it's just life. That's, just, that's kind of what life is. Like a give and take relationship. Like, you know, I give because they receive and I give and give because they but, but then now, listen, I want you, this is the part where we have to like... Uh, Think about the stuff Jesus said. It is very, very, very natural. And it is so normal, it's very difficult to divide it from everyday life. And if you were to start to defend yourself, and this is the reality, and this is why the next two sentences, I think the Holy Spirit puts so precisely, because your gut instinct, even now, right now, if I said most of your life you're living out of selfish ambition, you're going to start trying to defend yourself by pointing or as... James says, by boasting in all of the things that you do, 
well, no, I do this because I love and I do this and I serve here and I go here and I give money and I do this and I do this and I love and I hug and I do I take my kids and I'm a father and I'm a blah, 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 blah. And that's James going, shut your mouth. Stop boasting about all the little things you do trying to hide the reality of the truth that sits in your heart. And then he goes on to explain something that, that, that really, we, if he hadn't had this sentence, it, it, would, it would not be as difficult as it is. But it is. this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but this is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. The reason that it's so natural to you is because it's natural to you. The reason that it is in your everyday life because you can't think of how to have, you can't think of how to have a friendship different from this. You can't think of how to have a job different from this. You can't imagine having a marriage different than this give and take. This, you can't imagine uh, uh, going through and, and, and serving at the church or going through and serving at charities and going through. And through. You can't imagine a world where this doesn't apply. And the reason you can't imagine a world where this doesn't apply is because when humanity controls the earth, this is the way that we live. And he says, it's very natural, it's earthly, it, it's of the earth, it's of mankind, womankind, it's of, this is apart from God, this is how you operate. Because you don't love people, it's impossible for you apart from God. You live, you literally, you live to eat, you live to sleep, you live to go, you live to gain, you live for whatever that thing that's boiling up, the envy, the zealous, the thing that's boiling up in your heart till it boils over and everything you're doing is, is trying to, to get that and prove that and build that and go there and get that so you can feel some sense of greatness or some sense of satisfaction or some sense of growth or some sense of that life doesn't just suck, that life is great somehow and you've got this image and you've accomplished and you've done it and you move forward and you blah, shut up, like that's life. That's the American dream. Uh, that's the corporate world. Uh, that's your life. That's my life. And, and the reason it's so earthly is because, listen to me, and so unspiritual, we'll forget demonic for a minute. We won't even go there. I won't mess your whole world up. But just earthly and unspiritual is because everything that you're dying for and you're boiling up for all has to do with the temporary earthly things that stand in front of your face. Everything's about the gold and the silver and the promotions and the buildup and the going and the fame and the known and the image and, the, and to be known and to, and to be loved and to be worshipped, to be seen, to be discovered, to be lifted up, for somebody to tell you that you made it, somebody to tell you that you're good, somebody to tell you that you accomplished it, somebody to, that's, that's just your whole life. You could go through everything. It's all different for everybody, but that is your whole world. Because you're a human being. That's the wisdom, the what is, the way of life for humanity. And he says, it's, it is earthly, it's unspiritual, but it's demonic. It's the foundation of why Satan is Satan. And this is the way that you live your life. And so you can, you can do... The thing that he warns you not to do is you can try to boast and try to prove and try to prove me wrong and prove God wrong and prove the Bible wrong and point to how good you are and why the, the position of your heart and why you do this and why you do that, or you can just shut your mouth and let the Holy Spirit change your life forever. Right? And I know there's some first-time guests that are never coming back. <laughs> but I don't care. I love you. I don't care. This is, this is the reality of, 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 of God. And, and the beauty of this, and it says, for jealousy and selfish ambition, listen, for jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So again, I, I don't have the time to get into the vile practice, but I'll just 
it means that there's nothing that you won't do. There's no, there's no place that you won't go. This is what Jesus talks about in the, the sins of the heart and the mind. Uh, if, you, if you hate them or you're angry enough to kill them, then you've already killed them because you would kill them if you had the opportunity. It paints the picture that you would cheat on your wife in an instant if you knew for sure, one, that somebody else actually wanted to sleep with you, and two, that you would get away with it. And I, and I all right, let's just be honest and real. That's, what, that's who we are here. You're not, I'm, I've never cheated on my wife because no one's given you the opportunity. You cheat on her every single night with your porn addiction, right? It's in your heart. And that, that's the reality of this term, every vile practice. It, it means that, 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 that C.S. Lewis wrote about this reality that, that we don't, we, our wickedness is hidden because of the laws of man, meaning that if, if, if we get in a fight and I kill somebody, the odds of me going to jail for the rest of my life are there. So I can still be wicked but still have that murderous spirit in me. You ever try to take a sucker from my son? If he had a gun in his hand, he would kill me in a second and walk away with a sucker. <laughs> I'm telling you, this is, this is the reason. You lie constantly. You lie constantly. We deceive constantly. We manipulate constantly. We gossip constantly. We do all this because that, that, that's, it's, it's, just, it's just kind of in us and it's in its nature. So the, the thing that this says is that when you live your life like this, if this is what's driving you, Every vile practice, it's not that you're going around being a serial killer. It's that there's nothing that you would not do to get the things that you want in life. That it's all open for potential. And the, and, but we won't, that's a different message for a different day. Happy Father's Day. The, the disorder is what I just want to focus on just for a second. That wherever this exists, there is disorder. That word disorder, it literally means instability. An instability that causes confusion and disorder. Meaning that, that when you, you've got this thing that's boiling up, because here's the thing about you, is that thing that boils up changes all the time. That, that, and and, and the, the selfish ambition, the, the, the work for hire, uh, when that changes, does everything else change? And you've, got to, you, you've said things and you've done things, you've painted yourself as pictures and you've driven places and you've gone places and, 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 and you, you create this life to where there's, you've got so many plates in the air and so many bowls in the air and so many things going on that you eventually you just can't and there's instability and you're juggling and you're trying to move it through. Uh, you, and it just, be, just feels like this and this just kind of becomes normal. Hashtag American politics, right? Every town you say something different. Uh, you paint yourself a different picture. You, 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 you have sound bites. You can play them, both of them. I don't like any, anybody. You can play them. They'll be in Michigan, one here. I really love uh, red chairs. Next year, I really love the blue chairs. Like, they, it just, they, this, is the, this is why they get themselves in so much trouble because there's so much disorder, and it's, it's unstable. You can't handle it all. This is what we do in our life. We get so many little jobs, and we get so many little hobbies, and we get so many little things, and we have so many little arguments and so many little things with our wife and our children and our husbands. And our th- is that we, just, we have all this stuff, and it's just, it's just unstable, and you can't control it all. And it's impossible, and this kind of goes through life. And then you have anxiety, and you have worry, and you have stress, and you have all this stuff that kind of comes from that. You know, and then you have things like mental breakdowns uh, and midlife crises uh, and, and stuff like that that's very normal. And, and what we've done is we've taken this, this, in, this, this instability and this disorder and we've started giving psychological terms to it, right? And, and then we make it okay. We make it okay. And, and, and the reality of it is, is, that, is that this is not how we're supposed to live our life. But this is the way that life lives on this. And so I want to I just hit that so that we understand that this is not the way that Jesus lived and walked. And this is not the way that David lived. And I, I want you to see something unique. Because if you step back, if you step all the way back, and you say, okay, I, I don't want to live this way anymore. 
you know, I want to love people. I want to have a friend that's a true friend. I, w- I want to have a job that, that's, that's truly of God, or I truly want to, I, I, whatever the case is. I want to I be a father, mother, whatever. Just fill in the blank. I, w- I want to walk in that. I want my life to be established. I don't want to let the boiling desires control my life. I, I, don't, I don't want the selfish. I don't want to be a work for hire. I don't want to be a friend for hire, an employee for hire. I, don't, I, don't want, I want my life to mean, have something be real. I want, I want to walk in the reality of, of who God says I am. I want to be that person. This is the reality that when you really step back and you eliminate this way of life, it really leaves you many times and most of the time with nothing to do or say, to come up with on your own. It makes you utterly dependent on the voice of God. It makes you utterly dependent on the leading of the Holy Spirit. It makes you completely dependent on God. And at the end of the day, that is, in my opinion, the way that I see this idea of meekness played out. It's that reality where you step back and you put things in perspective. Because remember the way this, this way of wisdom, it's all about what's in front of you. It's all about the temporary. It's all about the natural. It's all about right here. You've built your whole life up about all the things that you can see, 99.9% of which will disintegrate with your dying dead body. Very few things are truly eternal in this life. But you build your whole life up with the temporary, the things that you can see, and that brings disorder. And meekness, humility, whatever word you want to associate, whatever word is more comfortable for you, is really stepping back like David got to in his life, and he, he, he understood the worth and the value of God. And he just wanted God and whatever God wanted for his life. He came to this conclusion. God is God. God is the creator of the universe. God created everything and all things. God is my God. God is my father. God is my king. He looked into the unseen, and he met God and he believed the fullness of God. And when you believe the fullness of God and you see the worth of God, it immediately makes everything down here worthless. And you realize something, that when you have God, when you really believe this, not when you just go to church, when you really believe this, you realize that when you have God, you have everything. When you have a relationship with God, you have everything. When you have the spirit of God, the presence of God, you have everything. And so what is life at that point? It's just you going deeper with the God of the universe and then doing whatever it is that God wants you to do in life. And that's it. And this is why David walked right back out to the field. Because David didn't value being a shepherd and he didn't value being a king. He didn't value uh, being over 10 sheep and he didn't value leading 10,000 men and more because he had the most valuable thing, God, the Spirit of God, the presence of God. When Saul sinned, Saul begged Samuel to walk with him so the people will still respect him. When David sinned, he begged and pleaded for God not to take his spirit. Even in David's sin, you could see his heart. And his heart was for God. And when you live a life like this, and this is the part where it's so hard to do this in one message, and it's just incredibly difficult. It it puts you, when when you're really there, And I've been there for seasons, and then I've been there not for seasons. 
I've been, in the last three years, I have walked for weeks and months in the fullness of this. And then to my own foolishness and my own screw-ups, found myself walking in the opposing side. So I, I'm not saying we, I've got this all figured out at all. I think, I think the direction is there, but knowing it and living it out is two different things. But David really realized that this is, and when you, when you, when you get like this, then you're, you're totally dependent on God in a, in a very specific way. You're dependent on God, God's voice, the Spirit of God to lead you. And, 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 and everything about your life becomes about God's idea. See, some of your, your biggest issues in life is you're trying to live out your own idea about your life. And it, it's just never going to work. Because when it's your idea, it's your responsibility. And when it's God's idea, it's God's responsibility. And that's why there's so many people that get crushed under the weight of good intentions. If, if you think it's your idea to be the father, your idea to be the provider, your idea uh, to work at this job, your idea to go here, your idea to work like this, be like this, walk like this, your idea, it's your responsibility and the weight of it will crush you or bring instability and disorder. But not for David. David, David understood, I believe in God. There's nothing more valuable than God. And so I'm gonna walk whatever way God wants. So it made him utterly dependent on God. And I think that's why that the next scripture in 17, it says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceful, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial and sincere. But it says it's first pure, meaning that there's no agenda, meaning that, that there, it's pure in the thought of God, I want God, nothing but God, and do whatever God wants me to do. God allows me to get up this morning, and I'm going to live this day for God. And if he doesn't, then I'll be with him for eternity. I've got God. I don't need anything else. And you put all your belief in the eternal and the unseen thing. And it really opens up the reality of the worthlessness of the things that are around us. And so this makes us dependent on the voice of God. And if you go through and you see the way that David operated, when he was called to the fire and anointed as king, he said, great, and he went right back out to the ship. And then when they came to get him to come play music, he said, great, and then he went right back out to the ship. And when they came to make him the armor bearer, he said, great, I'll honor God that way. And then when he was finished with that, he did it the best of his ability and he went right back. He never once tried to cut corners, never once tried to do it his own way. He never won. He always was faithful was in front of him, and he waited for God to speak. And that was how he lived his life. And he didn't move unless there was clarity from God. From the beginning all the way to the end, he would just continually wait on the voice of God. And that right there is why most of us never get where we're supposed to go. Because we won't wait on God to bring clarity. And we start letting the things boil up and we start trying to take it into our own hands and control it and move it and make it work and make it fix it and do it and blah, 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 blah. And then years go by and your life's horrible and you've wasted it all and you blame God for it and you hate it. You go to Vegas, you marry a stripper. That's just, that's, that's life. But not David. So I'm going to tell you a story because I look back over the course of this, this church, our life here. And, and this is God. This is how God operates. And I know that you don't believe it. And I know that some of you are even raised in churches where it, it somehow read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and walked away believing that God doesn't speak. And I feel, I'm not angry. I feel so sorry for those people. So sorry. But God does speak. And your entire life is actually dependent on the voice of God because God spoke the earth into existence and it's by hearing his word that saves you. Your entire existence and salvation and eternity is dependent on the voice of God. Don't let the foolishness of some man who went to some college that doesn't understand convince you that God quits speaking whenever they finished Revelation. Your entire world is dependent. Your life exists because of the Word of God. You're saved because of the Word of God. You're dependent on the Word of God and God still speaks. And that's what separated David from everybody else. 
And so it separated Jesus. Even Jesus, the Son of the living God, said, I only do what I see my Father do, and I only say what I hear my Father say. Utterly dependent on God. God's idea, God's responsibility. God's idea, God will lead me. God, God wants me to be on the throne, then God's got to get me there. And I love him and I trust him. And when he opens up the door, I go, you're dependent on his voice. And when I go back over the course of our, this church, and I thought the Lord just wants us to share this with you this morning. This is the story of our church. Every, at every turn, God would speak. And we would listen and obey and we would move forward. And he's always provided this way. And I just, I feel like I have to tell you what happened about a week ago. Because we are in the middle of this building process. We're moving forward. We're starting it. Uh, it's, it's, it's awesome. It's going to be great. But it's also been a living hell for me. Let me tell you why. Because I haven't had any peace whatsoever about who we were going to partner with as a builder. And it's not that I don't trust builders or love. I love all people. And there's people that go to the church and it has nothing. But I just didn't have any peace in my heart. I just felt like, and you can't, you can't build a building without a builder. Just, it's logical. And it, it was bothering me so bad even that, that I had Taylor uh, in the office a couple weeks ago. And I was like, hey, I found this building. It's called a smug building or something. It's like a million dollars. But it's temporary. You just build it. It's huge. It's ugly as sin. All right. It's a giant glorified dome thing and you just we'll just have church in there until God brings clarity because I'm not committing two, three, four, five million dollars in years to I don't have peace about this it was just, and we just and so about, about a week ago I was just trying to show you how faithless I am alright about two weeks ago uh, I had my planner I'm very organized I know I give off a different a picture but I'm very organized because I have to be otherwise I would walk into the woods and never come back so I, I had on my planner everything I was going to do two weeks ago in the building and the building process and everything had, was not even on it at all. I had no intention of even thinking about it. In fact, it was very intentional to not think about it. And Tuesday morning, woke up just one of those days when the Holy Spirit was just dominating me strong. Pulled me into this, just thinking about the building, the building process. I started to pray and it just was so deep and so strong. And uh, the Lord just started to speak to me about the building and 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 it drew me to the scripture where, where God warns the Israelites not to partner with the Egyptians and says that they're going to, they'll, they'll talk a really good game, but when you need them, they'll never show up. Don't trust in their systems. Don't trust in their ways. Don't trust in their leaders. And it just was such a dominating thought. I was just kind of crying. And, and I was like, we've got it. And I thought the Lord was just saying, keep it in the church. And so I wrote up on the board in my office. I was like, we've got to trust God. Don't put our trust in the systems of Egypt, the leaders of Egypt. And I just, you know, all kinds of spiritual stuff. And I wrote right next to it. I wrote, we've got to keep it in the church. And I had no idea what that meant sounded good, but I felt that in my heart, and I wrote it up on the board, and I just felt that, and then I went, after I finished kind of doing that, I went back to prayer, and I just felt this thing, and then all of a sudden, I'm just going to be honest with you, some of you are not going to believe it, but that's your problem, not mine, I, I just started to pray, and Holy Spirit just spoke so clearly to me, as if it was there, and it just said, I felt like God just said, somebody, somebody's going to call today, come approach today about the building, and I've sent them, and, and I, it was so overwhelmingly real to me that in tears, I just got on my phone, I texted Mark and Jamie and Terry, and I said, if anybody calls or emails or approaches any of us about the building, let me know immediately. And it was at like a 9:19, And we screenshot the thing later. And about an hour later, a little bit after that, uh, Christina uh, came to the girl, Christina, she's a blonde girl that sings her heart out every Sunday. She brought me the phone, and I was like, why'd you bring me the phone? And she was like, this nobody brings me the phone, because most of the time I can't help anybody doing anything. So 
She said, Terry said, if anybody calls about the building, they'll give you the phone. So somebody called about the building, then she just walks off. And I got the phone in my hand, and I go and sit down, and I start talking to this guy. He says, his name's Jeff Whittle, and he said, hey, um, you know, I, I'm the, I own a construction business called Ecclesia Construction. All we do is build churches. And he said, I've got your name from a guy some, like somewhere down the road. And, he, and I got it, and I didn't know his name. I thought it was somebody else, but it turned out not to be that guy. And he said, hey, you were building. I, we don't really cold call. We don't really do this. We're in Rock Hill. But I just felt inspired this morning to call you and just offer our services. And I said, okay. So we just kind of talked through that. And he was just kind of trying to sell me. And I really was honestly wasn't listening to anything he was saying. I was, uh, I was, mm-hmm. and I was looking on his website. And I was like, and it, uh, it was just like, it was like he didn't have to sell because God just kind of did it. We hung up. And I went out. And I told Taylor and Terry, they're sitting there, I told them what happened, and I went back in. I'm just going to tell you exactly what happened. I don't, I just, I'm past what y'all think. Come back in. I sat down on the computer, and I pulled up one of the testimonials, and there was this dude named Derwin Gray. He's a pastor of Transformation Church in South Carolina somewhere. Uh, and he was, it was a testimonial about uh, the Ecclesia, about this work in building the church with this company. And, and just so you know, if you don't know, the first office I ever had, we were in a warehouse down the road, which I hated. And mine was a little broom closet, and it was about two by two, and and I would sit in there, and swing in there, and and that was just where I studied and worked and everything else because the rest of it was a warehouse. And uh, and he, the first thing he said, he laughed and he said, my first office was in a janitor's closet in a warehouse. And when he said that, I felt the Holy Spirit come on me so strong, I started to weep and cry and some other stuff, and I felt like the Lord just said beyond the shadow of a doubt, this is the building. And so then I, I called Bro back, and I was like, hey, can you come meet? And he said, yeah. So he came on Monday. All the leaders met with him. And as we're sitting there, again, I don't think anybody was listening to the word he was saying. Uh, as we were sitting there, uh, it was just like if we could hand design a builder to work with, it would be this guy. I cannot explain to you how powerful it was to be in there. And he got up and went to use the bathroom. We all talked about him behind his back when he was gone. And I was like, hey, uh, this is the guy, right? And everybody, tears in their eyes, everybody was like, that's him, without doubt. So we came back, we told him the story I'm telling you right now. And he just began to weep and, and, and we worked it out. And all of our leadership and our staff are going down tomorrow to have the first vision planning meeting with this group. Drex is going to kill me because we're way over. He's the parking guy. Um, But here's the thing I want you to understand. Is that to to walk in this way, it will go against everything that is natural to you. But remember, God told us that it was earthly, unspiritual, and even demonic to try to do life our way. Because if you will step back and just allow God to be God, God is still God. And when he left, I asked Terry, I said, why? Why does God do that here sometimes the way he does it? And she just made a statement and it just shattered me because I knew. She said, sometimes, she said, I read the story about somebody. And she said, and she got to the end of it. She said, sometimes God moves like this just to prove to the world that he is still God. And I'm telling you right now, God is the God of this house. God is the one who is building this. God is the one who is growing this. God is the one who is saving people. God is the one with the plan. This whole thing is God's idea, not ours. And because it's God's idea, it's God's responsibility. 
And we have been faithful, so unfaithful in so many ways, but we have been faithful to wait on God to lead. And every time, even when it looks like nothing, it's just he just shows up just like that. And that's the way that God wants to operate in your life, I promise you. That's how he wants to lead you in your marriage, your kids, your family, your job, your life. That's the way God wants to do it. And if you will just believe in the reality of God and just step back and shut your mouth and just let God speak and lead, he will. But if you continue to let that burning desire drive you, whatever that may be, and you operate like a work for hire and you're trying to make your life and do your life and build it up and you're just disordered, instability, waste. But if you'll just step back and just trust God and not move until he says move, I promise you, I promise you'll be on the shadow of a doubt. If there's nothing else I know in this life, I know this reality. I know that God will speak and God will lead you. We are not enough if God does not show up. But if you will just let God be God, He'll change your whole world in a moment. God still speaks. If you guys will stay.